pray. Father, we are so thankful for the firm foundation of your love. There are often seasons, Lord, where we feel shaken. But because of your truth and mercy, because of your grace and love, we are firm. We stand strong. And so, Lord, I, I pray that as we live lives of gratitude for the strength of your foundation, that we would understand the responsibility we have to share the hope that we have in you with others. Let us honor you today, Lord, with our attention to your spirit and with the intentions of our will. Lord, speak to us by your word through your spirit. It's in Christ's name I pray. Amen. You may be seated. In the Middle Ages, uh, the church, the Roman Catholic Church, actually sponsored a charity that was created as an alternative to loan sharks. And the charity was called Montes Pietatis. It, it, it was a mission that was designed to help the poor make ends meet. And, and the charity actually provided uh, low to no interest loans to families so they could put food on the table. It was started by a group of Franciscans and ultimately more than 150 branches opened all throughout Europe. And they were so effective in their mission that in 1514, Pope Julius II gave an edict of endorsement to the institutions because they had actually become the lifeblood of many of the poor European peasants. Now, interestingly, those organizations still exist, but we know them by a different name. Today we know them as pawn shops. It's true, pawn shops. Pawn shops evolved from a tool that was designed to care for and provide for the needy. And they evolved into an organization that preys on the needy. In the 1400s, people in poverty would come into pawn shops and they would be greeted by friars who had their best intentions in mind. The idea was, let's help these people get back on their feet. The, the proprietors were for the people. But over time, the pawn shop owners lost sight of their mission. They lost sight of their identity. They were created for good, but now they have drifted away from their purpose. And they've become a case study in what is known as mission drift. Sadly, mission drift for any organization is quite natural. Uh, organizations that were formed, focused, and fired by vision to change the world can easily drift, can easily move away from the world-changing vision they started with and into a place where they have lost themselves. It can happen to any organization if it doesn't stop, evaluate, and refocus. Now, the church 
is not immune to mission drift. You, you know that we are created by God for good. We are called together as a people by God for good, and the mission is set. We, we've been created to introduce the world to the life-changing good news of Jesus Christ. And in doing so, we actually become the hope of the world. We are tasked and enabled by Almighty God to change the world we live in. And no organization plays a more vital role in the well-being of our world than the church. But listen, like any organization, we too can drift if we don't take time to stop and evaluate where we are and refocus on our mission. So for the next three weeks, here's what we're going to do. We're going to engage in the exciting process of refocusing on our mission, not because I think we are adrift, but because the reality is we could be. In the world we live in, with all the resistance that we experience, it would be very easy for us to get off task. And my hope is that, that through this process, we're going to be collectively re-energized to the sacred task of providing hope for the world. So here's the plan. Today, we're going to rediscover our reality. And here it is. We are called to build the church. We're going to reset our responsibility. We are called to be the church. And then finally, we're going to recommit to our roles. We are, all of us, called to serve the church. So today, let's refocus on our reality. We're called to build the church. Now, I don't know if, if this happens for you, but inevitably, when I wake up in the morning, I reach on my table and I grab my phone. Does that happen to anyone else? You grab your smartphone? Generally, because it's going off and freaking me out. That's the idea. But when I grab it and I open it, what I see is a, a screen filled with icons, right? And those icons represent a portal into the apps that I've chosen to place on my phone. And, and what I've learned is unless you go through that icon, you can't get into the app and you can't leverage it for the reason you downloaded it. Okay, now listen. The church, as designed by God, is like that icon on your screen. I'm going to say it again. The church, as designed by God, is like that icon on your screen. It is the portal. The church is the portal through which people access God. And we have to understand this. The church is the portal through which people access God. To the church in Ephesus, Paul wrote these words. His intent, his intention, his mission, his intent was that now through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known. Through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known. So if someone is looking for God, the way God designed it to work is they would go through the church. Why is that? What's so special about us? Here's the truth. The church plays host to the presence of God. 
Now, I want you to think about that. The church plays host to the presence of God. Now, if, if you know anything about the Bible from beginning to end, the Old Testament presents the, the presence of God as being limited to the temple, right? God's presence was in the temple. When, when people sought forgiveness, spiritual nourishment, encouragement, they went to the temple because it was literally the place where God dwelt. And then you fast forward through the cross and Christ's resurrection, and, and the New Testament tells us the purpose of the church was the same. The church was still supposed to host God. It was still the place where God's love and mercy and hope were discovered. But the difference was it didn't come through the place, but the people. God's presence isn't just in this place. It's in you. And Jesus said in Matthew chapter 18, verse 20, For where two or three gather in my name, there am I with them. There am I with them. So the church is literally where we find Jesus. But of course, the difference in the Old Testament to the New Testament is that it's no longer about the place, it's now about the people. Paul tied this together as he was writing to the Corinthians. In 1 Corinthians 3.16, he said, Don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple? Listen, I want you to hear those words. Don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's Spirit dwells in your midst? Now, what I want you to remember is, because in, in our self-obsessed world, we have a tendency to read you as me. Like I would read that, don't, Chris, don't you know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? But let, let me tell you, the you there is plural. So what it literally says is, God, God's spirit dwells in use guys. All right? What he's saying is that y'all are God's temple. Wherever you're from, I wanted to include everybody today. Y'all are God's temple. It is the church, the gathered church, the one that gathers in the name of Jesus that hosts the presence of God. That's what the scripture teaches. And here's the bottom line. No matter which side of the cross we are on, the purpose was and is the same. God established the church as the way to reveal himself to the world that's stumbling in darkness. His power, his goodness is introduced to the world through the church. Through the church. Through the church. The manifold wisdom of God is made known. So obviously, the responsibility of those who are part of the church is to build it.
to build the church. It's to struggle, to sacrifice, to be committed to the good of the church. Now, if we put that message in the Old Testament, the mission was the building of the temple. Now, it's the building of the people. It's a commitment to build the people who are the church. So here's the deal. Our call is to build God's church. How do we do that? Well, there's a message that's preached in the Old Testament by the prophet Haggai that, that provides principles for building the church. In, in their case, it was literally principles for rebuilding the temple. But these principles help us understand if we as individuals are on point, if we're focused on the mission that God has called us to collectively. Now, we're going to look at the book of Haggai. Okay, it's a two-chapter book. It's about uh, two-thirds of the way through your Bible. And if you want to start looking for it, <laughs> good luck. Uh, I think you'll find it, especially if you're using your app and you go through the portal to get to your electronic Bible. I think you Haggai, all right? But before we get there, I need to set the stage for what's going on. We need to understand the times that he lived in so we can really hear and understand the message of God. So I'm going to, and the words will be on the screen, you can jot them down, you can go back and look, but I'm, I'm going to take us first to the book of Second Chronicles, chapter 36. This is actually the end of the Chronicles of the Kings of Israel. And, and now, if, if you don't know anything about it, or you know everything about it, let me just tell you, it didn't end well for the kings. They wandered off from God. They didn't understand their mission to glorify God and lead the people to worship Him. So things were getting progressively worse as the kings went along. And by this time, God had had it. The people had totally stopped following God. And in 2 Kings 36, God finally says, I mean 2 Chronicles 36, God finally says enough. Look at verses 15 and 16. The Lord, the God of their ancestors, sent word to them through his messengers again and again. All the words of the prophets, God's just sending them. Come on, come on, come on, get with it. Why? Because he had pity on his people and on his dwelling place, which was the temple. Verse 16, but they mocked God's messengers, despised his words, and scoffed at his prophets until the wrath of the Lord was aroused against his people and there was no remedy. No remedy. God's wrath came in the form of King Nebuchadnezzar, the Babylonian. And Nebuchadnezzar came into town. He raided the land. He took the, the best and the brightest hostage to be his slaves like Daniel. And then he also went into the temple and robbed it of its treasures. And in 586 B.C., the unthinkable happened. Look at verse 19. They set fire to God's temple. God's house. 
his dwelling place. They set fire to God's temple and broke down the wall of Jerusalem. They burned all the palaces and destroyed everything of value there. And guess what? For 70 years after that fateful day, Jerusalem, it was ruined. It was literally in ruins. But there's always hope. And God wasn't finished with them yet. Why? Because he still needed a place to dwell. God still had in mind that he was going to reveal himself to the world. And so verse 22 of 2 Chronicles 36 says this, In the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, in order to fulfill the word of the Lord spoken by Jeremiah, the Lord moved the heart of Cyrus, king of Persia, to make a proclamation throughout his realm and also to put it in writing. This is what Cyrus, king of Persia, says, The Lord, the God of heaven, has given me all the kingdoms of the earth, and he has appointed me to build a temple for him at Jerusalem. Now, I I want you to think about that. A pagan king, far away, has decided to allow these people who he holds as slaves to go back home and build a temple, a place that the Lord God Almighty can dwell And he went on to say, and any of his people among you may go up and may the Lord, their God, wasn't even his God. May the Lord, their God, be with them. Now understand, this proclamation said that any Jew who had a mind to, who wanted to to go to their homeland, reinvigorate their city, and rebuild the temple. Anyone who wanted to was welcome. This was unprecedented. For the first time in history, a world potentate looked at all the conquered people and said, hey, why don't you go back home and build yourself up so you can ultimately stand against me? It didn't make any sense. He sent them to reestablish their community and reestablish their system of worship. How did that happen? Only God could put that thought in the mind of a pagan king. But God's intent was to reveal himself, and in the Old Testament, he needed a temple to do it in. Now, according to the book of Ezra, one page over from 2 Chronicles, 50,000 people loaded up and went to Jerusalem. Included in that 50,000 was 200 members of the choir. How about that? Why did the choir get called out? Because they understood their mission was to rebuild the temple and lead the world in the worship of God. Now, corporately, these people were tasked with rebuilding the temple. And when they did their part, what they understood was that Jews from all over the world and anyone who was interested in seeking the one true God, they would come to the temple to experience God's presence. If the temple was standing, God was present. Now, they had a great deal. Seriously, think about it. They were going back under the protection of the emperor. They were going back with the blessing of the emperor, and he was providing resources for them to rebuild God's city and God's temple. It was a perfect setup, but the task was enormous. 
Corporately, they would work together to rebuild the temple that had been destroyed 70 years before. But, think about what they had to do individually. They had to build a lot. Remember, everything of value in the city of Jerusalem had been destroyed. Everything. So when they got back there, they had to build houses, they had to build schools, they had to establish businesses, they had to plant gardens, they they had to start youth sports. It's so important. All that had to be done in order for them to survive in the place that God was calling them to rebuild his temple. And they were essentially starting from scratch. Now listen what happened. After they got there, about 20 years passed. 20 years. And the only thing they had done in the temple was build the altar. That's it. Only thing they had done. And so God said, oh, I've got to get somebody to go down there and get them rolling. So that's where Haggai comes in. God sent Haggai, the prophet, to help them refocus on the mission they were called to. Look at Haggai chapter 1. Hopefully you're ready. Haggai chapter 1. And we're going to get an understanding here of exactly what happened. Haggai chapter 1, beginning in verse 2. This is what the Lord Almighty says. These people say, well, the the time has not yet come to rebuild the Lord's house. The time has not yet come to rebuild the Lord's house. How long had they been there? 20 years. 20 years. You see where this is going? They got back. They began taking occupation of the land. They started to take care of themselves. They did build the altar so they could gather together. They got focused on their families. And they drifted from their mission. 20 years. Look at verse 3. Then the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai. Is it a time for you yourselves to be living in your paneled houses while this house remains a ruin? Now this is what the Lord Almighty says. Give careful thought to your ways. Evaluate. You have planted much, but harvested little. You eat, but you never have enough. You drink, but never have your fill. You put on clothes, but you are not warm. You earn wages only to put them in a purse with holes in it. God tells them, look, take a step back. Stop, evaluate what's happening. Look at your lives. You came here with the best of corporate intentions. You came here with my blessing to rebuild my temple so I could show up. But instead of doing exactly what you were commissioned to do, And indeed, what you committed yourself to do, you got sidetracked. What were they sidetracked on? Their individual needs. 
They, they abandoned their mission. And in the process, they left God out. See, their problem was that they forgot to remember it was God's presence that brought the blessings they sought. It's only God's presence that satisfies. It's not what you can harvest. It's not what you can collect. It's not what you can build. It's God. And the more they accumulated and the more they worked, the more dissatisfied they were. See, building the temple was supposed to be of an act of faith in God. And God said, if, you, if you'll follow me faithfully, I'll show up and I'll provide you everything that you need. That's what God does. It was God who provides. It, it, it wasn't their time. It wasn't their talent or their hard work. If they had stepped in and done what they committed to do, God would have rewarded their faith and the land they were living in, which, by the way, was the land flowing with milk and honey, would have been flowing with milk and honey. But they left God out. They said, it's just not time. We, we've, we've got stuff we've got to do for ourselves. We've got to take care of our families. Because, by the way, what they're really saying is, we can do that much better than you can, God. Let us handle it. But here's the truth. What God said through Haggai is that you're struggling because you've drifted from the mission and prioritized yourselves above God. Nothing was working. They didn't have enough to eat. They weren't warm enough. They didn't have enough to drink. The, the money seemed to just disappear. They, they, they couldn't figure out what went wrong. But God had an answer for them. Look at verse 7. This is what the Lord Almighty says. Here's your answer. Give careful thought to your ways. Evaluate. Go up into the mountains. Get busy on what you came here for. Go up into the mountains and bring down timber and build my house so that I may take pleasure in it and be honored, says the Lord. You expected much, but see, it turned out to be little. What you brought home, I blew away. Why, declares the Lord Almighty? Because of my house. Because of my house which remains a ruin while each of you is busy with your own house. Therefore, because of you, the heavens have withheld their dew and the earth its crops. I called for a drought on the fields and the mountains, on the grain, the new wine, the olive oil, and everything else that the ground produces on people and livestock and on all the labor of your hands. In other words... God said, because you chose to serve your interests, you forfeited my blessing.
I've frustrated your efforts. And until you get back to the mission, you're always going to be frustrated. You're always going to be spinning your wheels. And about this point, folks who are in the church today go, I'm so glad it's different in the New Testament time where we live than it was in the Old Testament because that sounds horrible. What a frustrating place to be where God is frustrating the fruit of my labors. Jesus sent the exact same message. Matthew 6.33, you know it. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Want to read that with me? But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. No different. Build his church. I'm happy to report that after Haggai preached, they got it. And they went to work. They refocused. And the temple was rebuilt. And the blessings flowed for them, listen, corporately as well as individually. Because that's the way it works. Now, this isn't just a story of what happened to them then. It, it provides a, a template for us to understand the way it works for us. Times have changed, yes. But God hasn't. Times have changed. Circumstances are different. But the mission hasn't. Still the same. Build the church. Why? Because God wants to reveal himself in the world we live in. And he's chosen us to do it. It's an unmistakable, irrevocable truth and trust. We are called to build his church. And unless we prioritize God for that mission, by investing our time, our talent, and our treasure in that mission, then the truth is, if we haven't prioritized God, We've prioritized ourselves. We are living in that arrangement. We are living outside the blessings that God reserves for those who embrace his mission. And we say, well, it's not time. Oh yeah, nothing new under the sun. They said that too. 
They said, we don't, we don't have enough money. We don't have enough time. We're so busy with the kids. I'm tired. I don't think you really have to commit to a church. Oh. God thinks differently. Because you're supposed to commit to building the church. Because the church is the hope of the world. You're supposed to commit to church because God wants to reveal himself. And the church is the portal through which God reveals himself. His intent was that now, through the church, his intent used to be then that through the temple, God would reveal himself. But his intent now is that through the church, the wisdom of God would be made known. And guess what? You are the temple. Y'all are the temple of God. It is a sacred calling and a beautiful privilege. Let me ask the question. Are you building the church? It's God's kingdom or my kingdom? God's kingdom or yours? Let's bow our heads. And I, I, I just want to invite you to spend the next couple of moments just being honest. Like God told the people through Haggai, evaluate where you are. Are, are you committed to building God's church? Are you committed to doing your part to ensure that God's presence, His wisdom, His peace, His love, His mercy are revealed through you and your commitment to build His church? He is the hope of the world. His presence makes all the difference. And His presence is with us and should be revealed through us. If Haggai came here today, would he celebrate you and your commitment to building God's church? Father, we, we struggle with this. For some of us, we can look back and say, 20 years ago, I, your, your Holy Spirit opened my eyes to place my faith and trust in Jesus, and I, I began knowing that I was going to serve you and build your church, but...
but not now. It's not time. Lord, we, we confess that we get distracted and we give ourselves to other things, other good things, but not the best thing. And so we ask your forgiveness for that, Lord. And we ask that from this day forward, we would do our part to build your church. Now, for some of you here today, maybe you're not a follower of Jesus and you're like, what in the world does this have to do with me? Well, let me just tell you that the essence of what was happening to those people in Jerusalem who were just living lives for themselves. That's what we all do. It's what any of us do when we're not connected to Jesus Christ. The, the scripture, in the scripture, Jesus says that I have come to give you life. That's eternal life and life more abundant. You know what abundant life is? It's life lived in the blessing of God. If, if you said, hey, I'm, I might not be about the whole church thing, but I can identify with eating and never having enough and getting clothes but never feeling warm and, and my money just seems to fall out of my purse because it has holes in it. If you, can, if you can identify with the frustration of trying to make life work on your own. Here's the good news that we stand for, the reason for which we gather. That is that Jesus Christ is the only way to make it work. He is the hope of the world. He is the hope of eliminating your frustrations and living with the purpose for which you were created. And if you're not a follower of Jesus Christ, and you're swimming upstream. You're only ever going to be frustrated. You might have moments of success or victory, but in the long run, in the long run, you're only ever going to be frustrated because you were created to connect with Almighty God through faith. And He made possible that connection by grace. Jesus Christ died for you that you could have life and have it more abundantly. And so if you want to walk away from the life of frustration and walk into the light, the purpose for which you were created, then you need to place your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And I'm going to pray for you right now. And you can just open your heart and say, Lord, I, I want to connect with you. Father, thank you so much for Jesus. Thank you for the fact that he came to help me make sense of life, to forgive me for my sins and Help me connect with you and your purpose. Lord, I pray for anyone that doesn't know you in this room today, that today would be the day that they place their faith and trust in you and they join the great corporate mission of offering hope to the world because you are our hope. We bless your name, Lord. Thank you so much for the truth of your word. May we live in its light. In Christ's name I pray.